Welcome to another episode of the Rams Ask a Chair podcast series. My name is Hamza Ijaz. I'm a resident at the University of Cincinnati. And today I have the fortune of introducing Dr. David Wright, who's joining us from uh, Emory. He's one of our department chairs. So thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so let's start at the very beginning, Dr. Wright. What introduced you to the field of emergency medicine? How did you become interested in our specialty? It's a good question. Uh, I uh, went into medicine in general uh, because of the impact of uh, the discovery my, my mother had breast cancer uh, when I was young. Uh, and I'll never forget the birthday because she wasn't there. It's the first time she'd not been to my birthday and um, she was in the hospital having surgery. Um, and uh, so that was uh, made a, obviously a very big impact on me and I, I was just mad. I was mad at cancer. I was mad at you know the whole sort of what why do people have to get cancer and die from this? So that sort of sparked a couple of things. One, why I went into medicine, but the other is, is later we'll talk about why I went into research. Um, but uh, emergency medicine, so why emergency medicine? Because you would think, well, I'd go into internal medicine if I was interested in cancer. Um, but uh, actually, I was uh, from a small town, and uh, it was pretty rural, but the physician in that small town uh, was a physician who could do everything, right? They, they, they covered the ED, they had their practice. I always, that was my vision of what a physician should be. And so when I went to medical school and realizing there was all these super subspecialties and someone who just took care of the skin, someone who just took care of the ear, nose, or throat, or whatever, that didn't appeal to me. I wanted to be a physician that could take care of anything. And literally, if someone fell out of the mall, who would you call? <laughs> and I wanted to be that person. So emergency medicine was perfect for that because we, we respond to everything and anything. Um, I also happen to really like procedures, um, which made me lean towards surgery, uh, but the perfect combination of procedures and also being a physician that could take care of anything, no matter what, where or when, was emergency medicine, still remains that today. Yeah, that's a great point that I've heard a lot very frequently, you know, over the interview trails, having talked to medical students myself, about the fact that it's the complete and total encompassing physician, you know, head to toe, even dentistry is involved in our specialty, you know, so the fact that we're able to take care of any complaint, anything that's undifferentiated, we're the people that everyone comes to asking for help initially, but that benefit right there, I think, is a huge reason why a lot of us have gone to the specialty and continue to love it. For sure. And then I want to touch a little bit more, you kind of alluded to it already, regarding your interests. You know, I understand that you're an avid researcher, you've done a lot of research within neurologic emergencies, including both stroke, TBI research. Uh, so how did you first go about developing an interest in research, and subsequently, how did you then figure out that neurologic emergencies into uh, TBI and stroke research was going to be your area of focus within the realm of research? One of the things I learned early in life uh, from some great mentor uh, at, at, at some time was that you uh, you go through doors when they open. That's the reason that I'm frankly doing uh, neurological emergency research, uh, is a door opened in that area. And um, I decided to, hmm, let me just walk through this door and see what's on the other side. Uh, to back up a little bit and tell you why I went into research uh, in the first place was I've always been inquisitive. Uh, I've always uh, wondered how things worked. Um, in fact, when I was born, my birth announcement was that I was going to be an astronaut. Now, that might tell you what decade I was born in, which I don't really want to claim anymore. But nonetheless, you know, it was, uh, it was about exploration and somehow that, that is uh, true to my spirit and, and who I am. I always uh, 
want to explore uh, what's on the other side. Uh, and I don't like uh, necessarily how we do things currently. So I'm always looking for a different way to do it. So that's just my personality. Uh, so I, w I did some research when I was in college um, uh, with a professor. I was one of the very few people who had worked with him doing research. But I was really smitten when um, I was literally in medical school. And I took a year off uh, between my second and third year to do Howard Hughes Fellowship. We actually, I, uh, discovered this, uh, this molecule that no one in the world had ever seen before. Uh, doing a very special technique called rotary shadowing. Um, but the point is, is that it was just an unbelievable sort of sensation and feeling to have discovered something totally new. No one ever, sort of like putting your foot on, on the moon, no one's been there before. Uh, and you got an opportunity to be a part of that. That wasn't me per se that got me to that point. Lots of help, lots of mentors, but it was really a phenomenal experience. Um, that protein turned out to be, by the way, Fibrillin, which was involved in Marfan syndrome, and so now some of the original pictures that you see of the fibrillin molecule are some of the pictures I took on, uh, on the road shadow machine. So that bit me, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, and so from that point forward, I knew that I was going to do always be a part of the research. That's very neat, you know, your contributions, you know, I've definitely learned about fibrillin in medical school, and Knowing that I'm talking to the person who helped kind of discover that initially on, you know, it's very, uh, very neat to be, you know, given this opportunity. So thank you for that. And then touching a little more, you obviously mentioned, you know, your stroke research that you've done, your TBI research, or neurological emergencies in general. And then within emergency medicine, it's the care for stroke, you know, patients, patients with strokes has evolved significantly from what we were first able to do, and not what we were able to provide for them or to offer them. Now, going a little bit bigger picture in terms of how has emergency medicine evolved in terms of where do you think emergency medicine is going over the next 10 years? Where are going to be the next, in your mind, the avenues we should pursue or to further seek research on or to help improve the care of within the next 10, 15 years, would you say? Well, let me, let me back up just a little bit and uh, clarify the stroke uh, neurosciences research. This is a really important point for those folks who are out there who are thinking about going into emergency medicine. The beauty of emergency medicine is we touch everything. We touch every specialty. Uh, the world is your oyster, so to speak. And so, you know, whatever area you're interested in, remember I started with my interest in cancer. My work in Marfan syndrome was when I was doing uh, extracellular matrices work. So it was really more about skin. I thought when I graduated from Cincinnati that I was going to be uh, a person who discovered some compound that would make your, your wounds heal quicker, something that the DOD would be interested in. But, you drop this chemical on it in 24, 48 hours, your laceration heals. That's, that was sort of what I had a vision of. But when I got to Emory, um, I met this gentleman by the name of Donald Stein, who is to this day one of my dear mentors. Um, and he was doing traumatic brain injury research. And he had discovered this compound that was, you know, a, an amazing compound that was helping uh, rats, because he was a basic scientist. Um, perform better on tasks uh, after a head injury. Got me sparked uh, into that, and then, you know, being in the clinic at one of the busiest trauma centers in the country at Brady Memorial Hospital, and seeing that we had no treatment at all for this population of patients, really literally none. Um, and, uh, and so I decided at that time to walk through that door that we just talked about and explore, uh, and the rest is history. The other important point, as you said, advances in stroke have been have been incredible, and I want to emphasize the fact that it's been incredible because of emergency medicine research. 
And people don't really understand the foundation of research uh, for emergency medicine. In fact, that was the struggle from, from our specialty becoming a true specialty in the early 1970s, the first programs, University of Cincinnati being the first program, was that we didn't have a body of knowledge. People didn't understand what, what is emergency medicine, it's everything. But it's time-based, not organ-based. And so that first three hours, that first six hours, that critical decompensation time, biologically, pathophysiologically, and scientifically, is totally different than the maintenance of some disease that the internal medicine neurologists and otherwise take care of. And it was because of emergency medicine and research in emergency medicine in that zero hour, three hour, six hour window that we discovered that not only was the pathophysiology different, the treatment needed to be different and the, and the way that we manage patients needed to be different. Because before emergency medicine, stroke patients sit in the corner and then you just see what happens to them a week later, do they wake up, are they able to do something? Now we have treatments. And the same is true for just about any condition you could think of, whether it's cardiovascular collapse, resuscitation research, none of that could have been done without emergency medicine. So just wanna make that point. So where are we going? This is gonna be an old quote, but one that's gonna be very important to the specialty. As a specialty, we came about because of an incredible need. That need was a recognition that patients who were acutely injured or acutely ill had no place to go. If their primary care physician couldn't meet them at the hospital, there was really not much that could be done. Patients involved in motor vehicle collisions, show up at a hospital, maybe a dermatologist was on call, something, but there was really nothing that could be done for them. And there was an outcry by the public and by the recognition from Vietnam and Korea that more could be done. And so emergency medicine was born in response to that. Over the many years, we've become a specialty of filling needs in a broken healthcare system, which is why we are the safety net for healthcare system in America. But the next 10 to 15 years is pivotal because we no longer need to just respond to the outside forces. We now need to define and have an opportunity to define where we're going. And so the quote that I was gonna say is, the best way to predict the future is to design the future. And I think that's our next 10 to 15 years is going to be us as emergency physicians defining our practice and, and, and what we are. And what I think that is, my personal view, is any acute unscheduled care, that whole front piece to the digital front door to access to the healthcare system, that's in our wheelhouse. That's us. And we help define that, um, that part of how patients interact with the healthcare system. Okay. All right. I'm actually really glad that you brought that up here uh, regarding to the next 10, 15 years of defining, creating, or designing the future. I know recently there's been the ASAP workforce report that came out regarding the next 10 years of the 2030 uh, timeline in terms of the overabundance and the different factors uh, that kind of played a role in developing that uh, model, essentially. I want to get your thoughts on this uh, regarding, and obviously understand that there's multiple factors involved in how the future is going to be developed or designed, uh, but what are your general thoughts about this ASAP workforce regarding, like, do you really believe, like some people I've talked to don't envision that we're truly going to have a, uh, you know, an oversupply um, of emerging physicians. But what is your ultimate take on like the workforce report in terms of where we're we going to be eight, ten years from now based on that report? Well, uh, we can make that decision. 
as emergency physicians as to how we want uh, the workforce to look going forward and whether there are multiple other opportunities uh, to expand and to grow our workforce. This is really amazing. So I'm really glad you actually brought up the topic of designing the future if you want, if you want to know what's going to be ahead. And then you've, this is obviously the workforce reports come out regarding the oversupply of emergency positions potentially within the next 10 years or by 2030. So I want to get your thoughts on the matter regarding the workforce report and then how do we go about preventing that or to mitigate or offer some solutions to, to that process? So I'm just going to say declaratively that the future of emergency medicine is incredibly bright. I don't think residents uh, or anyone who's thinking about going into emergency medicine need to think twice about that. If this is their passion, that's what they should do. Um, the, the workforce issues, the market will figure out. There is, uh, I don't think there's really a shortage uh, of places to work if you're an emergency medicine doc. In fact, we're somewhat protected. Uh, if you want to think about many of the other specialties that are out there, the emergency medicine doc can do anything, anywhere, anywhere in the world. And that's pretty special. We're also the one of the very few physicians now, or specialties rather, that truly see undifferentiated patients. That is a skill that has been lost. Uh, and maybe our family practice brethren do a, still do a bit of that, but for the most part, not in the way that we do it, not in a acute decompensation in a patient that we have no idea what their background, who they are, or what their comorbidities are when they get us. So it's a very special skill set that we have developed, and that is going to be highly needed throughout the world for generations, forever, frankly. Um, and so uh, I, I wouldn't worry so much about the ups and downs of the workforce. Uh, those are complicated issues that we as a, as a specialty will work on and, and deal with. There are some things that need to be worked on, like increasing the, the uh, criteria for what it is to be in a emergency position. Uh, I am concerned that uh, having programs that train uh, residents that don't have an academic underpinning, are training technicians, and are not doing uh, our specialty a favor. I do think that the market will eventually put pressures on those organizations um, to not uh, to be in the business. But um, at this time, as a resident, I wouldn't worry about that. Or as a medical student, I wouldn't worry about going into emergency medicine. Okay, that's very helpful. You know, thank you for offering those thoughts there. Then. I was now touch a little more about your role as a department chair. Uh, so can you just walk us through, I know there's a lot obviously on a plate of a department chair and the debating schedule for a department chair, but what are some of the roles and responsibilities of department chair and what are some of the challenges that you feel people then newly step into that role aren't aware of potentially at the time? Uh, let me start with the role of the department chair. And I'm sure this uh, is dependent upon the individual chair that you interview. For me, my role is to be a catalyst. I'm the chair of an academic program, which means that I deal with faculty. Faculty are almost like independent practitioners where, or are small businesses in and of themselves. And my job as the, faculty, as the chair is to uh, make it easier for them to be successful. Uh, when my faculty succeed, I succeed. 
And so as a servant leader, which is my style of leadership, it is to uh, break down the barriers for the faculty to become the best that they can. At the end of the day, you know, I want my faculty to change the world. Uh, I really, uh, everyone that comes in, I, I want them to have uh, a passion, a vision, uh, and to develop into leaders that, that are going to go out and really change the practice of, of medicine. And then now it's touching a little bit more about the, some of the challenges that chairs you know, face when they're uh, in this role. Well, the biggest challenge is faculty and personnel. Uh, HR is our biggest headache. Um, there's no doubt in that. And, and um, really that derives from uh, when a faculty member is underperforming uh, to what their potential is uh, or is a mismatch you know, for the program or for the specialty uh, and that's that's hard to do those are very tough uh, situations thank you for offering that and then just to touch a little more about the residents the medical students listening to this uh, podcast when they're getting ready to prepare themselves for the job search whether they're I mean, out of fellowship or getting ready for a fellowship if they're going to apply for one or just looking for directly for a academic faculty job or a community job afterwards. What are some of the advice that you would offer to those residents that are about to graduate and start, you know, or starting this job search um, for getting their first job? Interesting. I think I'm looking for a resident that, uh, that has passion, uh, that wants to be engaged, uh, that has empathy, uh, and that... Uh, um, really cares about the patient experience. Uh, there is a, a special culture in our program. Uh, we deal with a uh, vulnerable population. Let me start with what I'm looking for in a faculty. And uh, that'll tell you a little bit about what we really want out of a resident. I want a faculty member who's got passion, who's going to be engaged, who's going to show up, who's going to give it up. And uh, that translates back into the residents that I'm looking for coming into the program. Uh, I, I would love it if they could articulate a vision, where they want to go, what they want to be uh, when they grow up, um, and what area that they're interested in. And they don't have to define it immediately, but at the end of the day, in our program, which is an academic program, uh, we, we are looking for those folks that are going to go out um, and, and, as I said previously, change the world, right? So they're going to be scholastically productive, they're going to be inquisitive, they're going to be innovative, and they're going to problem solve. And then they're going to take that information and spread it to the rest of the world and their colleagues and how to better take care of patients. Thank you so much, Dr. Wright, for sharing your thoughts, you know, your prior background experience, and some of your interests as well. And that's about all the time that we have for our podcast today. So everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for all that you do, Dr. Wright. Of course, thank you so much for your time setting, uh, sitting down and chatting with me today. Thank it's you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thanks.